Well, production team, worship team, it's enjoyable to open up God's word for you in the room and all of you. I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Exodus chapter 20. Uh, my name is Michael Fueling. In case you don't know me, I'm the lead pastor here at the Village Church. So we're in a series on the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11 is going to be our text. Now, 2020 for me was one of the most transformational years of my life, as I've gotten to know many of you in your year. Uh, understandably, it has been a pretty transformational year for you as well. I want to share with you on the front end one of the most important lessons that God taught me in 2020. I learned personally to embrace my limitations as a gift from God. So what I've been doing is moving from seeing my limitations as an irritation to be overcome uh, to toward a place where God wants to bless me by actually saying no to a bunch of things. So let me just share with you on the front end here a handful of my limitations. Number one is my body. In fact, every one of us, we have a limit with our body. Um, I need, personally, a lot of sleep. Um, also, inside of me, um, I joke with people and say, there is a very obese man sitting deep down inside of me, and I want to feed him all the time. And so uh, some of you, you can eat whatever you want, and you don't ever have to worry about that, but um, that is a limitation. When I give in to gluttony, you all see it. Here's a a second limitation I have, which is my mind. Now, I am good, like most of you, at one or two things. Uh, something I'm not good at is packing a trunk. In fact, the game of Tetris is like my nightmare. My brain cannot just organize things in such a way to put it into the trunk in a way. So what happens on our vacations is, is my wife will say, hey, Michael, go pack the trunk. I'll go pack it. And then she'll come take everything out and re-put it back in. And there'll be twice as much space. It's like some broken part of my brain. I also have a hard time in the weeds of things. Now, most of my time in ministry has been spent in the weeds, but I don't enjoy that. And if you've spent a little bit of time with me, you know Michael shall probably get out of the weeds. It's a limitation I have. Some of you, like you, are amazing in the weeds. Like you are gifted and, and your limitation maybe is my strength. Here's my, my, another limitation is my personality. I'm an Enneagram 7, for better or for worse. Uh, I love fun, I love people, I love laughter, and I love eating. For some of you, I am a little bit overwhelming. For some of you, I am just right, but everywhere I go, there I am. No matter how much I try to be someone else, I can never actually be them. Here's another limitation, my gender or my sex. There are things with my children that I will never be able to provide for them as a man and as a father that only my wife can provide. It's a limitation that God has put on me. Another limitation is my marriage. When I willfully chose to marry my wife, there are now a whole bunch of realities that I will not pursue because my life is bound to this person. We are limited by each other's needs, by each other's weaknesses, by each other's bodies, by each other's calling, by each other's personalities, and this is a, a limiter that I willfully walked into joyfully. I've got three big limiters, by the way, that are always slowing me down. Child one, child two, child three, right? And uh, I, by having children, have said no to a whole bunch of things, but I would take relationship with my kids any day over the freedom to do whatever I want. But that's a limiter in my life 
that is on me. Now, in ministry, here's a limiter that I think that a lot of ministry leaders butt up against and are frustrated by. Uh, it's the limiter of fruitfulness. So this idea that when we serve God, spiritual fruit is something that grows in people, uh, but it's something that God grows. And it's interesting because two people can get up and do the exact same thing, and for some people, well, God will bear a lot more fruit for, through their ministry than he will for other people. So learning to see, like, you know what? Like, I can't control what God does with my ministry or my preaching or my leadership or my teaching or whatever it is. And really, that is up to the Lord in cooperation with each one of you. And so even fruitfulness is a limiter. Not everybody has the same ability by God to bear the same amount of fruit. All of these things are just a few of my limiters. In fact, I made an initial list of about 25 limiters in my life that I either chose that happened to me or that God ordained for me. Now, we, we live in a culture that celebrates blowing away limitations, right? Not all limitations are bad. Some of them are meant to be blown away. But, but what happens when we try to blow past the limitations that God puts on us is we harm ourselves, our bodies, our souls, our relationships, and inevitably, we harm other people. And so what we're going to see here is that God is going to put a very severe, intense limitation on the Israelites, and he is going to mandate it. And here's the deal. This limitation is for their good, it is for their flourishing, it is for their thriving. So Exodus chapter 20, verse eight, I wanna read this whole passage of scripture for you this morning, and we're gonna set the foundation for commandment number four, which is the Sabbath. Exodus chapter 20, verse eight, remember the Sabbath day, and your job is to keep it holy or set apart for spiritual purposes. Verse nine says, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath. Who is it to, by the way? It is to the Lord, who is your God. On it, you shall not do any work. Now, I imagine here that they receive this, and they would say, okay, but I can put my children to work, right? And he says, or your son. Okay, how about my daughters, right? Or your daughters. Got it. Okay, but I've got a bunch of servants and slaves. Can I put them to work? And he says, or your male servant, but the female servants. Come on, right? No or your female servant, okay, fine, God, then I'm gonna have my animals do the work for me so that we're all resting, work is still getting done because production, production, production is all they ever learned in Egypt. Your value equals your production and God is actually breaking this entire system of thinking down and he says, no, not even your livestock. Okay, what if I have a sojourner from a different country, hypothetically, and they're staying in my home and it's the Sabbath day, can I put them to work while we all sit inside and do nothing? And he says, or the sojourner who is within your gates. I, I think it's hilarious, by the way, that God puts all of these like specific restrictions in these laws because he knows the inclination of the human heart to find a loophole. Anyone else do that? that that's me. Okay, good. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it, here's the word again, holy or set apart for spiritual purposes. And what's interesting is my personal struggle with Sabbath is really a battle between my ambition and God's limitations. Anyone ever experience that? But God, I want to be productive. I want to get this done. But God is saying, stop for the love of God, Michael, stop. 
There is something better for you than your productivity. But God, I am important if I am productive. My value personally is in my ability to work or provide or produce or to make things or to generate income or whatever it is. All right, so what is, what is the Sabbath? Sabbath literally means to cease, to end, or to rest. So for the Israelites, God mandated by law a 24-hour period Every seven days, six days, you work. One day, you Sabbath, you stop, you rest, you cease. <clears throat> this went from sundown Friday night to sundown Saturday night, 24-hour period. And there were four major things that the people of God would do on a Sabbath. Number one, on the Sabbath, God's people stop work completely. Anything that we do for provision or we do for a, quote, job, and maybe you're a student, maybe you're a mother, anything that you do that is your functional job, whether you get paid or not, God says, listen, there's one day you just stop. Now, mothers, do you still mother on the Sabbath? Yes, we have a mother. Fathers, do we still father on the Sabbath? Yes, but it looks different. We're not driving our kids to work and produce. We're driving them to something different. So here's the second thing that the people of God do. We refresh our bodies and our souls, and this word's gonna come up again in a little while, we refresh our bodies and our souls, which implies for humans who are not God that we get depleted very easily, do we not? And so God says, listen, I, I'm, I'm gonna put a, not just a 24-hour rhythm into your life where you need sleep every 24 hours, where I, God literally designs our body to shut down, and so we stop and we rest, but he's also going to put a weekly rhythm into our bodies that says, listen, this is going to be for your good. You need to refresh your body and your soul with a 24-hour period of just stopping. The third thing that people of God do is we connect. Now, earlier we said that the Sabbath is to whom? It's to the Lord. It is directional in nature. And what we do on the Sabbath is we prioritize first and foremost in all the empty space. Once production has stopped, we fill in this empty space first and foremost with things that connect us to the Lord. So number one, we stop. Number two, we refresh. Number three, we connect to God. And then here's the fourth one we're going to find is we do what God did on his Sabbath. We delight in his creation. We delight in the things that he has made for us. We delight in the things that are around us. And I think this is a really important fourfold thing for you to consider on Sabbath. Number one, we stop, we refresh, we connect, and we delight. Now, I want to take you on a little bit of a journey, so open up your Bibles. I want you to go forward about 11 chapters to Exodus 31, and I want you to look at verse 16, and this is going to get really important because this is going to tell us the ultimate goal of Sabbath. Exodus chapter 31, verse 16, here's what he says, therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath. By the way, why does Moses have to repeat this over and over and over again? because they're dumb as rocks. They're like, oh, we know better than you, God. I mean, really what it is, is they've ever known their entire life the idol of production. All of their value, identity, safety, security, and provision was found in making a certain amount of bricks for the Egyptians. And now they enter a brand new, we'll call it ecosystem, where the priority is not their production, but the priority for them is their health and their relationship with God and their relationship with each other. 
It's just a very different mindset going from the gods of Egypt under Pharaoh to Yahweh, who is for them, for relationship with them, for their thriving, for their health. They're just very different things. And I think we see this now, right? The ecosystem of this world values your production. It values you making more money and more and doing and accomplishing. And yet for God, he says, listen, my values have never really shifted. My value has always been for you, for your joy, your delight, for our relationship to grow. The people of God should be set apart because we're not following the ways of the world which mandate work, produce, work, produce, but we do something very different. He says this in verse 16, chapter 31, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. By the way, the covenant is with the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, that's what he says earlier in chapter, or verse 16. Verse 17, he says, the the Sabbath, it's a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day, watch this, he rested and he was what? Refreshed. Okay, so does God get tired? (laughs) The answer is obviously never. Does God himself actually like need a Sabbath? No, in fact, the word, it means most literally to breathe freely or to sigh in enjoyment. You know that moment where there's no anxiety, there's no pressure, things all just sort of worked out? There's nothing lingering over your head. Everything is in its right place. You stop and you just enjoy This is the kind of refreshment that he's talking about. It's this place where you say, okay, all the things that aren't under my control, God, they're under your control. So today, this moment, this time, I'm gonna take a deep breath. I'm gonna sigh of relief and I'm just gonna believe and trust in my soul that you've got the rest of this under control. Because the reality is, can we control most of the things we're anxious about? Of course not. And so Sabbath is this time where God says that his soul is refreshed. He steps back. It's a sigh of relief. He looks at his creation, and everything is just fine. There's no sin in the world. Adam is about to probably wake up from his slumber on the seventh day, and everything is as it should be. Now go back with me to Genesis chapter 2, and I want to draw your attention to something that happens here. Genesis chapter two, verse one says this. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he Sabbath or he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. So how does God feel about this day? Verse three tells us God is apparently pretty satisfied with the Sabbath and he wants other people to be satisfied with it too. So it says, verse three, God blessed the seventh day and God made it holy or set apart for spiritual purposes because on it God rested from all of his work that he had done on creation. I want you to catch this. Who woke up on the seventh day? Adam. Now, may I surmise for a moment? When Adam woke up, who was there waiting for him? God. What was the first thing Adam saw God do on the Sabbath. I'm gonna surmise it's one of the following things, all of which I think happened on this initial Sabbath. God saw, Adam saw God connect with him personally. 
Adam had the privilege to go probably on a walk with God in the cool of the day, as Genesis says. Adam had the opportunity to ask God whatever was on his mind. Adam saw God delight in his creation. Adam saw God take a day off. Adam probably heard God talk about his new job. And I imagine something of the sorts, hey, hey God, what are we doing today? And God says, absolutely nothing. Let's go for a walk and talk. And God tells him his job description, and he says, that's a big job. <laughs> I have to subdue the entire world, multiply, name everything. Like, this is going to be big. Should we start today? And God says, no, we'll, we'll do it tomorrow. Well, how long is this going to take? I don't know, all of human history. Just relax. Today is our day. Today, you and me are going to walk. We're going to talk. I'm going to answer the questions of the universe. I'm going to tell you about my desires and my passions. I'm going to explain to you what the world looks like. I'm going to tell you some of the things that are going to be happening here. I mean, this was probably an amazing conversation. And what was the primary objective for God on Sabbath? It was to connect with Adam, to stop production, to refresh his soul, this idea of just looking at what he had done and saying, this is good. Like, if you, do you ever get done with a week of work and say, I brought God glory because I worked and what I did was good. Now, you may have a to-do list you didn't finish, but this is the whole nature. God's like, you get done what you get done. You got six days and you take a day off, and on the eighth day, you start back up again. But God gets done with his work and he just, he just says, you know what? I brought you glory. I can't take this home with me. I'm gonna leave this here I'm, gonna let, I'm not just going to let you take care of it. And the seventh day, we just stop. We refresh. We delight in creation. And first and foremost, we connect with God. So God's up to something in Genesis, by the way. He's not just modeling. He's mandating. He's setting the pattern for all of humanity. What's interesting is that what happens with Sabbath is that Sabbath is bigger than Old Testament law. Now, we're not under Old Testament law, but Sabbath was before it and Sabbath is after it. There's something about Sabbath that is really, really important for the human condition. There's something about Sabbath that transcends the nation of Israel, and it is for all people everywhere. Here's what's interesting about Sabbath and the world. Uh, you can figure out a day by looking at the sun going up and the sun going down. You can figure out the rhythms of the month by looking at the stars and the rhythms of a year by looking at the stars. But there is no way to even know the existence of a week without knowing it from special revelation from God's word. There is nothing in the rhythm of the stars that tells us about the weekly rhythm of work six days and then rest the seventh day. This is actually God's just at the very beginning of humanity imposing this and saying, listen, there's something I didn't put in the stars in terms of weekly, monthly, or annual rhythms. And it is this idea of a week. And if you follow this, you will be special and distinct because I've designed you for this very thing. The only way to know about Sabbath is to hear about it from God himself. And so here's what we find. We are not machines. We have limitations. Our mind needs rest. Our bodies need rest. Our animals need rest. Our land needs rest. Everything in creation is designed for rest. And I want you to catch this. This is before the fall. That even before the fall, that there is a way that God designed us so that we are not just machines on 24-7, but we are actually, before we are producers, we are relators. 
and that the, the human nature is to work, but more importantly, we are designed for connection with God first and foremost. And Sabbath is God's way of saying, this is my day. Stop messing with my day. Now, look at verse um, 11, or uh, verse three. God blessed them, Exodus, or Genesis chapter two. God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy because on it, God rested from all of his work that he had done. I want to draw your attention to two words. First is the word blessed. Three things are blessed in creation. Three things. Animals to multiply, humans to multiply, and the seventh day to do absolutely nothing. That's it. Those are the only things in all of creation that is blessed. Animals, multiply. Humans, multiply. Everybody, stop. Those are the only three. Holy, this is the second word I want to draw your attention to. Set apart for a spiritual purpose. Of all the things that God would make holy, most people would expect that God would make a space holy or a temple holy. Maybe even he would make image bearers holy. But the only thing that God makes holy in creation is this day. That there is something really, really personal to God about this day where we stop, where we refresh, where we connect with God and we delight in the creation that God made for us to enjoy. All right, now I wanna fast forward you to the book of Numbers chapter 15 because there is a really intense passage of scripture that I remember reading this as a junior higher and I was like, something is wrong with God when I read this, this text. So I wanna read this to you and I want you to think about this. This is a story, a true story, of a Sabbath breaker being executed. Here we go. Numbers 15, 32. While the people of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. Now, if you're reading the law for the first time, here's what you're supposed to do. (gasps) Why? Because previously, in the book of Exodus, God had said this. Whoever does any work on, on the Sabbath shall be put to death. And then he clarifies you shall kindle no fire in all of your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. Okay, now God's serious, right? Does he want them going, chopping down a tree, cutting the wood, making it all set for the Sabbath day so that they can kindle a big fire? And the answer is no, because for you and me, we go to the store or to our backyard. For them to make a fire, it's a bigger deal. It's a lot more work, et cetera. It's different cultures. But here's what God does. God has already said, listen, everything in you is wired to break this. And I wanna show you how serious I am about this. Anybody who works on the Sabbath you will be killed. Are we clear? Are we clear? Like, is this important to God? Apparently, God has a very high value on the Sabbath. It is very holy to him. So here's what happens. Those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. They put him in custody because it had not been made clear what should be done to him. He's like, well, what do we, what do, we do? I mean, he's Picking up sticks, is it that big of a deal? And I mean, we know that he was picking up sticks, he was doing stuff, and he was gonna, he was gonna light a fire, and we know that he was breaking the law on purpose. Okay, did this guy know the law? He absolutely knew the law. Was it clear what he was doing? Yes, was there rebellion in his heart? Absolutely, and the Lord was like, I already told you what was gonna happen. I already, I already told you the outcome of this. And, and so here's what happens in verse 35. The Lord said to Moses, the man shall be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp And all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones as the Lord commanded Moses. I don't want to act like stories in scripture aren't there. And they can get very intense. And when you take our cultural moment, you leave it and you try to jump into these cultural moments, it can be very confusing. But there's a set of laws 
All of these laws were communicated to the entire nation. The repercussions for breaking these were communicated to the entire nation. And this was an act of rebellion where somebody said, I am above God, I'm above Moses, I'm above Aaron, and I'm above the law. And I will do what I want, when I want, how I want. Nobody tells me what to do. The spirit of rebellion was obviously very strong in this guy. So why is God so serious about Sabbath? Because it's his day. And it's his day to spend with the pinnacle of his creation, image bearers, you. It's his day to bless you. It's his day to say, I want to give you a gift. And the gift is is stopping from production. The gift is a refreshment for your soul. The gift is the ability to connect with the one your soul was made to connect with. And the gift is the creation that I have designed so that you could go play in it and have fun. And when you intentionally give this beautiful of a gift to somebody and they say, I don't want your gift. If you give your boyfriend or girlfriend or spouse or child a date night as a gift and say, I want to take you out and I want to spend time with just you and me. And they say, I don't want to go out with you. Is that personal? I think you have to understand that what is so personal about Sabbath is that God is extending his hand to us and saying, I want to spend time with you. You and your family. I want to be with you. I want to, I want, I want to be a part of your rhythm. I want your soul to be refreshed. I've designed all of this thing just for you. I made you in such a way that when you actually ignore this, you just begin to not do well. You begin to burn out and things don't start to function the way they're supposed to function. And when we look at God and say, I don't want to spend time with you. I reject your rhythm. I reject your word. I will do it my way. It's personal. And this is what God is trying to communicate through stories like Numbers 15. And disconnection, he knows this, disconnection from him is certain death in the wilderness for the Israelites. He is the only lifeline they have. They cannot live in the wilderness without Yahweh. And if they push him away, it will mean death for the entire nation. So this is personal. So fast forward now. Go thousands of years to the days of Jesus. And the religious leaders, I mean, honestly, they have just abused and manipulated and uh, uh, the Sabbath. They've used it as a mechanism to control people. And they added rule after rule after rule after rule. You can only walk so many paces on the Sabbath day. You can only do the certain amount of things in the Sabbath day. And, and I'm just going to be honest. Whenever anybody adds to Scripture, be very cautious. Uh, people love to add to Scripture to control other people like it's a thing. So we don't add to the Word of God. We don't take away from the Word of God. We let the Word of God stand on its own. And Jesus is furious with the religious leaders of the day. And so I want to share with you one passage of Scripture, and you may not actually understand the context of this passage of Scripture, but it is placed in the context as the introduction to Jesus' teaching on Sabbath. You ready for this? Matthew eleven, twenty-eight. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. This is a throwback imagery to the Israelites in Egypt. Are you heavy laden? Has the burden been put on you? And here's what he says. I'm going to be very literal as I read this. And I will give you Sabbath. I will give you rest is what it says, but in the Hebrew he would have said the word. I will give you Sabbath. 
take my yoke upon you, and the yoke is his teaching. He's not adding to the law. He's not adding rule upon rule upon rule. Ignore their teaching. Take mine on you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, which is in contrast to the Pharisees and their teaching, which is oppression, which is rough, which is we're gonna create extra laws, and if you don't abide by them, we are gonna discipline you. And the whole time, you're like, I didn't even break the Bible. I didn't even violate the commandment of scripture. And I'm being punished for laws that are even bigger and beyond that. And he says, take my teaching upon you. Learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find Sabbath for your souls. For my teaching is easy and my burden is light. He also says, man was not made for Sabbath. It, but Sabbath was made for you to bless you. And, that, and yet these people made it a set of rules and laws and we have to obey it perfectly so we don't experience the wrath and anger of God. And God's like, listen, all I want on Sabbath is for you to stop, to be refreshed, to connect with me, and to delight in my creation. That's all I'm asking. This is not supposed to make your life harder. This is not supposed to be a set of rules where you go to bed at night guilty and that you have somehow let God down. Jesus has like a little secret up his sleeve, which is he knows he is going to die on the cross for our sins so that even our Sabbath breaking is covered by the blood of Christ. Does that mean we should still go and neglect the Sabbath? No, but when we do, we don't go to bed at night with a sense of condemnation over our heads because the blood of Christ has covered every single inadequacy and failure that we have ever committed. So we go to bed every night acknowledging, confessing, but believing and knowing that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And then Jesus, in this context, in Matthew chapter 11, he goes on to talk about and teach on Sabbath and to correct some of their terrible cultural views on Sabbath developed by the priest. But here's what Jesus wants. He wants what God wanted at the beginning of creation. Adam, let's go for a walk. Do you have any questions for me? Check out what I made for you. How are you doing? Adam, I have some really exciting things coming up for you. I'm gonna make for you a wife. You're gonna love her. It's gonna be amazing. Adam, look at all of this. You and me together, we're gonna subdue this and we're gonna bring order out of this chaos one square mile at a time. I'm gonna give you a family. I mean, imagine all of the delight that God had on that first day to just look at him and say, can I, can I tell you what I made for you? Can I tell you what you don't even know is like here, but I've woven into the very fabric of how this whole thing works? Now imagine in that moment if, if Adam said, I don't need you, I got this. <laughs> and he went and he worked on the day that God designed to bless him. It's not the way God made it. So there are, there are a lot of questions on Sabbath. So can I just go uh, after a couple with you guys? Here's one. Are there any rules for Christians and the Sabbath? Like, is there anything that is like a hard fast under the new covenant in the New Testament? Jesus taught this. You must do this on the Sabbath or you are like disobeying God and you are sinning. Uh, in fact, there doesn't seem to be in the new covenant any real rules, boundaries, or guidelines for Sabbath. In fact, there seems to be this loosening of things that has actually confused, I think, a lot of people. And here's one of the most important passages of scripture, Colossians chapter two, verse 16. Here's what it says. 
Paul says to the Colossian church, because they're duking it out and they're fighting about the Sabbath, you have to keep it perfectly. It's got to be on Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. And all the Gentiles were like, well, why that day? Like, that's actually the day we work. So can I make my Sabbath this day? And, and so here's what he says. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food. You can eat what you want, drink. You can drink what you want. Or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. And here's what he says. You guys don't get to judge each other on how you do Sabbath. You do Sabbath one way, you do it another day. Sunday's for me, like I'm a pastor, it's, it's kind of a long day. It's like not really like the easiest day for me to just stop and to, to rest. And so our family's created a, a rhythm where we have Friday night sundown to Saturday night sundown. We kind of mimic theirs because it's right in the middle of what we would call our weekend in American culture. So for our family, that's just like, that's the place where it fits really, really well. But there seems to be this openness and this flexibility. And so, like, okay, so your Sabbath is on a Monday because you have Mondays off and it's a day for you to just stop and rest. This is the joy that we have under the new covenant is what God wants from you is not a perfect rhythm that all of humanity follows, but he wants you and your family to create a family rhythm where he is first. Six days you produce and one day you stop and you make him your priority. You set that day as holy to the Lord because the Lord wanted to bless you with that. Here's another question. Does it matter what day of the week I have a Sabbath? And again, the answer is no. In fact, the most important thing is that we actually just Sabbath. Does Scripture, this is, this is an interesting one, does Scripture require me to go to church on Sunday, or we could say on the Sabbath. And, and it's kind of a trick because the answer is like yes and no. Like, does God care if you go to a Saturday night service or a Sunday morning service? No, God, God's actually concerned that you are gathering with the people of God weekly to worship. In fact, the book of Hebrews says, do not neglect the gathering together. Don't do it. It's dangerous for our souls when we get disconnected from the people of God, which is why COVID has been so difficult for so many people because we have been disconnected and we're trying to figure out how do we maintain this connection? How do we maintain this weekly worship rhythm uh, when we are digital? Even right now, people like we in the room, we're worshiping because we actually hear the instruments as they are. But if you're online and you're sitting in a, a, your family room and you're listening to a TV and the TV might have terrible sound, it's like, so do I sing? Like, when I sing with my kids in our family room, they're like, Dad, stop singing. Your voice is terrible, right? So do I sing to the Lord? But when I'm in here, I can sing as loud as I want because none of you can hear me. Like, what do we do in these moments? So, like, it's very interesting to think about worship and connection and community and life together uh, when we are doing church digitally. But it's possible, and we're going to make the most of it, and we're going to pursue that. So it's required creativity. But here's the deal. Can my Sabbath be separate from my corporate worship? And the answer is, sure. This is the joy of the new covenant. It is not about rules for the sake of rules. It is about you and God connecting, and it is about you abiding by the Sabbath rule of the universe, which is your body, your family, your animals, your property. It needs a day. It needs a day to just stop. This is the rhythm that God has created. All right, here's, here's another question. Is ignoring a weekly Sabbath a sin? I actually don't totally know the answer to this, but here, one person said this, and I, I think this is hilarious. They said, to not keep the Sabbath is not necessarily a sin, it's just stupid. Eating concrete is not a sin, it's just stupid. I, I, I kind of like that. Okay, 
go for it, ignore it. It's really a dumb decision. And then after a week, you'll be like, I'm fine, I got it. The, the problem with breaking Sabbath is not the first month, it's the second month, it's the third month, it's the slow fade of discouragement, it's the slow disconnection. And you're like, but I already know my Bible, I know a lot, and God's like, your knowledge of the Bible isn't the most relevant thing for you and me on Sabbath. The most relevant thing is that you stop, you're refreshed, we connect, and you stop producing and start delighting. That's like the most relevant thing here. All right, a couple so what's. Weekly Sabbath kills all sorts of sin. If, if you as a family unit will mandate Sabbath in a way that is appropriate for the whole family, you're gonna put this into your rhythm, you're gonna discipline into your schedule, here, here's what's gonna happen. A whole bunch of things are gonna die. There's this thing called a keystone habit, and it's, it's a habit that when you begin it, when you start it, when you do this thing, a whole bunch of other things change very quickly. So for example, if you start eating well over a long period of time, you start to feel better, you start to get more energy, you start to get more mental clarity, things start to happen, you start being able to work out more, you get to be able to be more productive in different ways. Like it's this one habit, if you change this one thing, it affects a whole bunch of other things. So here's what happens when you institute a weekly Sabbath into your life. Number one, Sabbath kills laziness. Why? Because you cannot Sabbath if you don't work. Sabbath actually requires you to work. Some people's lives are Sabbath, right? And what God is saying is that, no, actually there is an inverse command here, which is you are actually required to be productive for the good of your family and for the good of society. God made you that way also. Before the fall, before sin, we're created to work. Now again, Stay-at-home mom, are you working? You better believe it. A student, are you working? You better believe it, right? Work looks very different in different seasons of life. And not all, quote-unquote, work gets you compensated. But the human is designed to labor and be productive for the benefit of their family and for society. And so here's what happens. If you're actually going to institute a Sabbath, first you need to actually make sure you're working. The second thing it kills is workaholism because it requires you to stop. And a workaholic doesn't stop. Even when they quote-unquote stop physically, their brain is just rummaging, which is why God says, while your body stops, you take that brain energy and you focus it on me first. That's what you do. And then we can build a Sabbath day where you delight and connect with your family, etc. Sabbath kills control. Because if you're in a seven-day-a-week job and you have to stop for 24 hours, you're like, okay, Lord, you're gonna have to take control of these 24 hours. I'm building a different, better rhythm into my life, and I'm gonna release this. I'm not gonna check on it. I'm gonna leave it alone. Sabbath kills disconnection with God because it actually forces you. When you do Sabbath right, and your Sabbath is first holy to the Lord, and it is about you and him, right? That he is the one who refreshes your soul, and connection with him is what makes you come alive. Sabbath actually prevents disconnection from God. It's this one time a week where you have no distractions, you and your family, and you put in Sabbath rhythms where God is first. And this is why I think it's really good for most people to connect Sabbath with attending weekly church. Because what it does is it says, listen, first thing, Sunday morning, we're gonna prioritize our family, going to worship God and to serve other people. And so it's a great, I think, rhythm to put there first and foremost. So what number two? Take your next step today. I want to put a handful of statements on the screen, and I want to ask you which of these statements describes the next step that God might want you to take today. Uh, here's number one. Make a decision to Sabbath. 
For some of you, you, you like don't Sabbath. Like, this is not your thing. You might go to church on Sunday, but it's about work. It's about producing. It's about something different than primarily connecting with God. Maybe the decision is to even just come on Sunday mornings and change the way you think about this place and the rest of your day and to make it about resting, stopping, refreshing, connecting with God, and delighting in creation. Here's the second option for next step. Talk out the details with your family or your community. Maybe you do Sabbath, but it's not to the Lord. It's maybe undisciplined and unfocused. Uh, it might be a day of resting, and it might even provide a refreshment for you, but it's not connecting to the Lord. It's not holy and set apart to him. M- maybe your Sabbath has been one where you just lay down all day long, which honestly, given what some of you do for a job, might be needed. But maybe this is a time where you decide, I'm going to learn new ways to delight in God's creation. I'm gonna, I'm gonna find new ways to engage the world around me and to enjoy what God has made. Here's the third option for next step. Schedule your Sabbath priorities, including worship. Maybe you actually have a lot of this, but you need to sit down and put a schedule together. What I've learned in American culture, by the way, is that if we don't put it on the calendar and schedule it, we always default to something that is not great. So maybe your family, you need to just say, hey, on Sundays, here's our schedule. Now the schedule, is it a law? No, it's a guide to help keep the main thing the main thing. There are plenty of days on my Sabbath where work actually has to happen. Something goes wrong, something has to be done, something needs to be fixed. And uh, is it sin to do good on the Sabbath? The answer is no. When, when you have to do good on the Sabbath, you do good on the Sabbath, and something has to happen, you go take care of it. This is not something where you go down to bed every night and say, did I follow my Sabbath laws perfectly? <laughs> it's something where you, you go to bed every night and you say, God, my goal today was to stop It was to connect with you, to refresh my soul, and to lighten your creation. And God might put it in your heart to say, I'd like you maybe next week to stop a little more because you didn't actually stop at all and connect with me. And and maybe at the next Sabbath comes around, you say, oh, we're gonna do better. This is not about mandating oppression. This is about God wanting the most important thing, which is connection with you and to bless you. Here's the fourth option for next step. Maybe you have to cancel or reschedule recurring threats to your Sabbath. Do you find that you actually have a Sabbath, but it's the same ridiculous thing every single week that like gets in the way. Maybe you have to cancel something or reschedule something. But here's, here's my simple question for you. What is your next step? So that you can move toward the direction of having a day a week where you stop, where you refresh your body and your soul, where you connect to the Lord and where you delight in his creation. What is, what is the next step for you? And finally, lastly, the pathway to true Sabbath is only through Jesus. So if you're watching online or you're listening and, and you have never personally trusted in Jesus, this is so important. Because a weekly Sabbath, it's good for the body. Anybody can experience the physical and the mental blessings of a Sabbath. But God has designed us for connection with him. The truest form of Sabbath begins when we personally trust in Jesus and enter into a relationship with God. And so there is no connection with God unless we go through Jesus and trust him personally. And so this idea of what God has created us for, we will never be able to fully experience it until we personally place our faith in Jesus. Is Sabbath still a blessing for humanity, whether they know Jesus? For sure, but it's about 5% of the refreshment that God wants to give to your soul and to your body. We are designed holistically to connect and engage with God. And when we do that, we find the ultimate refreshment.
The book of Hebrews says it this way. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's Sabbath, his rest, has also rested from his works as God did from his. For we who believed entered that rest. The world is striving. You ask most people, how do I connect with God? I have to be good enough. I have to accrue a number of good works. My good works have to outweigh my bad works. And the Bible breaks through to this and says that is not how the soul finds Sabbath. The soul finds Sabbath by believing and resting in what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross, period. And so I wanna just give you this gift, Village Church, friends, worship team, production team. God has designed you to stop. This is the cadence. It's the human cadence. You work for six days, and on the seventh day, you stop, you refresh, you connect with him, and you delight in his creation. Uh, I want to take a, a moment, and I want to spend some time praying for you, and I want to invite the worship team to come up, and we're going to close our service in one last song. Before we do that, let's, let's pray together. Father, I am well aware of how much so many of us love to work. God, would you give us a delight and a love for the Sabbath as much as we love to work? Because just as much as we were made to produce for the good of our families and for society, we were made for you. Our bodies need this rest. Our souls need this rest. And God, we just, we confess that for many of us, it feels impossible to implement this on a regular basis. So God, I pray that you would help us. I pray that you would give us courage. Maybe there's some hard conversations we have to have. You would give us wisdom as to what the right next step is. You give us discernment as to the things that maybe are good, but they're not the best. And this next season, we need to move away from them so that we can put you in your rightful place. God, as I think about these first four commandments, they are about making sure that you are the king of our life and of our heart. So Lord, we do confess that we are prone to either put production or laziness on the throne of our heart. We don't want either of those. We want you. We want to work and enjoy it, but we want to Sabbath and enjoy you. So thank you for blessing us. I wanna say thank you on the front end for being so intentional with creation, for modeling this, for showing this to Adam, for talking about it from Genesis all the way through the entire Bible, time and time again, for reminding us and training us. And, and even when we come up with ridiculous rules and try to make this a law and impose it on other people, thank you for your grace and thank you for the teachings of Jesus that free our soul and keep the main thing the main thing. You don't want law abiders for the purpose of law. You want us to be alive and in relationship with you for your glory so that the world might see that you are not a slave master like the gods of Egypt, but you are a father and we are your sons and we are your daughters, your beloved children. And so God, as we close our time in worship here, thank you for loving us and for blessing us. And we want to bless you back by lifting high the name of Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So as we come to the end of this message, I want to ask you a simple question. Is your soul able to Sabbath? Uh, we chose this last song. The song is called Bigger Than I Thought. And it's a song that most of you have never heard before. But the, the bridge says this. I will rest in the Father's hands. I will leave the rest in the Father's hands. And this is a song for those who need soul 
rest. For those who need rest from negotiating with God, from working, from striving, and from anxiety. So whether you're at home, if you wanna stand, I wanna invite you, but uh, really what I wanna invite you to do right now is to sing and to worship our God together. Let's worship him.